Hello and welcome to the BGCP Disassembled Podcast, the official podcast for the Big Glasgow Comic Page, where we talk about the latest comics, movies, television, and other pieces of nerd culture. I'm your host for today's episode, uh, Massimo Costelli, joined by my co-host, of course, as always, the lovely Daniel. Hello. Um, and on today's interview special, because we'll continue to do these, uh, we are joined by a writer whose credits include Captain America, King in Black, Dynamite's James Bond, and Queen of Bad Dreams for Vault, with working for various projects on Marvel and for Vault Comics, uh, we'd like to welcome... Uh, to the show, the phenomenal Danny Lore. How you doing? It's still so weird to hear my list of credits. It's I'm still at the point where I'm like, did I? T- I did that. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I mean, I must be surreal because over the past year, you've you've shot into stardom, and can you tell the uh, listeners a little bit about yourself, um, so they know who you yeah, are? Yeah, it, uh, it's actually super weird to think of in particular. Uh, about it all kind of happening especially in the past like year year and a half um because one of my first big book events was literally like two days before quarantine i had been part of a um a great like ya anthology uh uh called you know like uh phoenix first must burn and it had been my first ever event at the strand right like so like we're on a panel and it's super dope um and then I was supposed to go to Emerald City, I think, the next week, or or um, TLA, I don't remember which, uh, because both were very close to each other, and I had actually, like, taken time off, and I was like, I'm going to travel for the first time in, like, a million years, and then everything shut down. <laughs> uh, so, like, there was a few months there that, uh, as a writer, you know, like, um, I had, you know, I had done stuff uh, at that point, you know, like... Uh, Bond uh, was already up and going, you know, Queen of Bad Dreams. Uh, but Phenomenal book, by the way. Uh, I read that this morning. Uh, it's great. Queen of Bad oh, Dreams. Oh, thank you. It's great. Um, I, I love, I, I, I love uh, like, the final product, product of that. Like, it, it still means so much whenever I look at it. But it was, like, this real moment of, like, fear because there's always that fear that, like, oh, you're starting to, like, talk to editors and like get your foot through the door at like and then quarantine hits and then it was you know that kind of pen down moment and like everyone be who you know like I was talking to you know and everyone was super sweet and you know and everything but you know it's it's that comics went silent for three months you know and like kind of what does that mean you know uh it's a very real and reasonable fear of like the what's going to happen with like the abyss of quarantine uh, so, like, I feel really fortunate um, to have, you know, have had this work out so far for me. You know, like, I I had had a plan at the beginning of 2020, you know, beginning of 2021, you know, like, that's when I'm going to stop retail and I'm going to go full time. And then quarantine happened. It's like, I guess you're f- full time freelance now. <laughs> um, <laughs> technically. Um but it's been really exciting and, you know, like, uh, really wild when I just, I just think of, I'm, I'm one of those people that always, whenever something great happens to someone, I'm like, cool, let's build a time, time machine and figure out how to go back and tell you 10 years ago that this was going to happen. Yeah. You know, um, and so I've been thinking about that a lot, you know, like with COVID and just going, wow, like, there was a point in my life that it didn't occur to me that, like, you could do this as a career like 
I knew writers wrote comics. Like I, I was always like, my goal was to be a prose writer, except for that misinformed time where I didn't understand journalism as a child. And I was like, I'm going to be Lois Lane. And then I learned that like journalism is not what I wanted to be. Uh, well, um, <laughs> I was going to say, I'm, I'm doing journalism at university at the moment. So fingers crossed, I don't come to that same realization as well in the middle of my course. <laughs> uh, luckily, for you. I, luckily I, under, I, I came to that at a young age, but like the first Halloween costume I picked for myself was Lois Lane. I was like dedicated. Nice. Uh, oh, and then my wife became like a journalist and copy editor. So I was like, does that oh, make cool. me Superman? Did I marry Lois? <laughs> that rocks. <laughs> but yeah, you know, just kind of looking back and being like, Oh wow, right. Like I can do this as a career and then like I've gotten to work on so many of my dream projects just within the first like year and a half of of me ever doing license work, you know. And that's wild, you know, that like to wake up and and get at times, you know, at least one or two emails a month being like, "Hey, do you would you be interested in getting paid for doing this dream you've had since you were like <laughs> a kid and me being like i guess i mean sure. you're, wait you're paying me for this hang on um you know so it's it's been a wild and scary but really fulfilling ride and uh i i hope to keep uh impressing people enough that uh they keep paying me to do this because i'm going to be doing it either either way it's just whether or not i get to get paid for it so you kind of spoke there, Dan, about the last year or so and like kind of getting your your name out there and becoming, getting to work on more high profile projects. But where where did comic writing start for you? Was there a moment where you were like, oh, I can write, I can write comic books? Or was it always there? Did you always have these kind of ideas? Or how did that come about? I always, I was always a writer. Like even before I knew how to like really read and write, I would like stack up uh my mom's magazines like fashion magazines and just like flip through them and the way that i would occupy myself would be to make my challenge myself to tell a tale from one end of the magazine to the other using all like the ads like that was just i would sit there with a pile as big as myself because i'm a small like <laughs> small fetus child and just do this for hours um but like for a long time like I thought it was going to be just prose. Like I'm fortunate enough to be doing both right now, which is really cool. Um, I, and I still don't know how I came to this realization, but there was never, I never hit the stress of, uh, if you're going to be a writer, you're going to be broke. Somehow I knew that. And I don't know what conversation that was. Uh, but I always, like I was in school and I understood that like, cool, uh, what I'm working on now in school is figuring out what my day job will be mm -hmm. so that I can write, you know? Um, which, you know, like, I I guess is nice because I didn't have the pressure of, like, that sudden realization of, oh, those first years at least are going to be real tough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but for me, like, and I got into comics when I was real little. Like, I started with Books of Magic when I was, like, I don't, like... 10 or younger probably because it was like in the in the public library um but it didn't occur to me that this was like an industry you could break into for a very very long time um i had no concept of how to do that um and then i was really fortunate um when i started working at forbidden planet in new york city uh you know meeting you know 
my comic soulmate and best friend, uh, Vida Ayala, and then also working with like Matt Rosenberg and Tyler Boss, as well as, you know, being fortunate enough to meet a lot of industry people through being both, you know, random, you know, showing up and like regulars. So I got to learn a lot about the industry through there. Yeah. You know, like seeing it's not every day that you get to see watch multiple people break in in different ways into the comics industry. And then those people also being people who have seen your personal writing. And so they trust you not to embarrass them. You know, like that's, that's kind of like an, also, like an important thing too. I think a lot of people reali- don't realize that, um, yeah, you've got to be able to write, but you've also got to be the sort of person that like can be introduced to people and editors, uh, yeah. you know, and being like, I can leave you with this editor for a little bit and I don't have to worry about what you're going to say. And I learned, you know, I'm sure that I've, I've said buck wild things in my life. Because uh, in case you don't notice, I babble. But <laughs> for the show. But like, but I spent a lot of time learning not just from from like what they were doing, but but hearing and watching other people, uh, both yeah. you know have good and bad interactions. Um, I'm the sort of person that, as much as I I talk a lot, when I get into new groups of friends, especially within like writing or different careers that I'm interested in I like just sitting and listening (laughs) um you know once you you ask me a question I'll keep talking but if like if you don't I just I really enjoy that and I really enjoy you know learning the different etiquettes uh or like you know on on a social level but then also like the technical stuff you know um some of my favorite conversations have just been listening to both editors and letterers you know just talking about what makes scripts easier to read you know and so i was really fortunate to come into comics having already listened to those conversations which is like that doesn't happen you know there's so much that we learn on the job you know and that's why i'm really big about like when anyone asks about those technical things i'm like let me tell you what so and so told me well, that's what I was going to ask you as well, was that you're kind of obviously like more well-known as a, a writer now, but you obviously have credits as an editor as well. And mm-hmm. also, most recently, I've seen you've been a sensitivity reader uh, for Giga or Giga or mm-hmm. one of Alex Patton's book. And um, I just wonder, what's the process like of being like an editor or a sensitivity reader and then having to give like almost criticism for people maybe to or like advice to change certain things or kind of like take little bits of the story and edit them like what's that like having to like give your opinion on other people's work in some capacity uh so i think it's a little bit different with sensitivity writing so like reading so i'll like put that slightly to the side but like to start with editing the hardest thing is learning it's not about your opinion it's about getting to understand what the client wants and definition of client changes on project a lot of times since i'm doing freelance editing the client is uh the writer or the you know the artist the team that's hiring me but it can also be if you're looking at like license work or something the client is a combination right it is what the company needs uh what the license needs to you know appeal to its audience to stay in line with what's there with what's been decided but also understanding what the team wants to express and then figuring out how best to help them do it yeah now sometimes that that means a hard criticism of 
I, un- I know what you're trying to do here. You're not doing it. And this is why. So let's talk about whether you want to change what you want to do or whether you want to change how you're doing it. Um, so you're not sitting there with like a like almost a machete cleaving through pages of scripts like no yeah, this you, is you don't want, yeah you don't you don't want to like sometimes you will do it in in the form of like an edit letter like i will i will sit there and i will go cool i think that this script needs line edit so i'll go in and you know like give comments on every line or like give suggestions for dialogue alterations and sometimes i'll be like i don't think that's going to be useful to you you know um because I think that where the core is is in is something that we want to talk about fully structural, and I don't want to dig into the different scenes until we have a discussion about what you're trying to do, you know, um, because it may turn out what I think would be a good suggestion for you know line by line doesn't work because it does because we're having a fundamental misunderstanding of what you're trying to do, you know? Uh, Like, one of the things I try to do as an editor is just, like, a small thing for me so that it doesn't become about my opinion is that if I see something that I think is not landing because of a certain reason, I will never give just one example of how it can be fixed. I try to give, like, two or three, and part of that is because there's that subconscious, if there's only one example part of you wants to say that's the right way to go right when it's not really about that you know um one of the funniest notes I ever got was when I had my mom read a first draft of a novel and it was like it's like space military like you know they're war all the time and her response was what if they had a dog it made no (laughs) sense it was literally the wildest note that she could possibly give but what was really being stated was I needed I needed something that was like in all of the gray area stuff I wanted to connect to something that was a little of uh, that that was simpler emotionally that you were sitting there going oh I care about this and I have no conflicted feelings about what this character this entity is doing so if something happens directly to this character I know how to feel right so it's all about the implicit rather than the explicit kind of right. suggestions and stuff like that of, of yeah so yeah. as an editor I don't want to give suggestions to say do it like this I want to give suggestions in terms of in case you know like you're struggling to see the perspective of my note these are things that I think would do that you know uh, meanwhile, sensitivity reading, it's still not quite your opinion, but it is couched in the, in, uh, I worry that if you're doing this as someone who represents this group, this could be harmful. I mean, you did know? a great job with, with, uh, cause like the, I felt like the, the characters always had a very true voice. Obviously Pat the Dell, phenomenal writer. We've had him on the show yeah. as well, but, uh, I think definitely having, and I even say, because I've reviewed the first year, like having uh, you on as a sensitivity reader was like a, like a masterstroke because it, it is one I of those mean, things of like, it's like having like that opinion, as you said, that like that ability to have someone who, who has lived those experiences in some capacity, yeah. be able to give their, you know, ideas on it. And like, um, and part of that as a sensitivity reader. So one of the things about that is that a lot of drama that comes with and you see it more in prose, obviously, because there's more conversation about sensitivity readers there than with comics. But uh, the understanding that all the sensitivity reader can do is is give suggestions and opinions and gut feelings. And it is really up the, the genius really 
sparks when the team is open to hearing it and processing it, right? So in prose, you sometimes see uh, discussions where a sensitivity reader, for example, is like thrown to the wolves because it's like, oh no, there was nothing wrong with my book. I had a sensitivity reader. And like that reader's like, cool, um, it'd be real unprofessional for me to list all the ways in which you didn't listen, listen to me. Like, don't, don't, or like a, a sensitivity reader can only speak from their perspective, you know? It may be a thing where there are, there's a myriad, you know, uh, you know, possibilities for opinions within a marginalized community about something, right? So you have to make the decision to like do A or B, but you may be in a situation where you're always going, you always have the potential of harming someone, right? And that's true even if you're writing from your own perspective, right? And what's really great about working with Alex uh, and working with like uh, Adrian as an editor is that they're incredibly open to those those discussions, you yeah. know? Um, that's pretty that, valuable as a writer, surely, that kind of perspective. Oh yeah, like it just, just you know, when we were working, you know, on on the first couple of issues of, of uh, Giga and just being like, here's where I think, you know, there might be concern, uh, you know, the, and there were statements where I was like, here, I think that no matter what you do in this situation, you know, like, um, these are the, the ways that I think people might want to react. And then it's on you to decide whether or not it's worth it, you know? And then we got on the phone and we had these really great discussions about uh, what, uh, you know, what Alex's intentions were, you know, where Alex wanted to go. And then we, you know, some of the times we then threw out what my, you know, initial gut feeling note was, you know, because it's like, oh, okay, you're trying to do something different here. Well, let's think about the, you know, the the way that is mo that is least harmful you know um and alex is always very very thoughtful about that um i i've been fortunate enough to call him a friend for a few years now um and which also makes it easier uh like for some for some friendships it makes it harder to be a sensitivity reader because you're like oh god i gotta say this to my friend but with alex alex is uh someone who do no harm is really at the forefront of uh his his processes so it's very easy to just say, hey, man, I think that you're doing this. Because for the most part, I'm like, I know you didn't really mean to do that. You know, like, you know, yeah. like if like if there was an issue and then he jumps on it and he's like, yeah, no, let's let's fix this. <laughs> um, and like he's he's always that dude, you know, like I, you know, not to uh, gas him up, but I have upon a many occasions uh referred to him as one of my one of the smartest friends i think i have in in comics and one of the most thoughtful nice well that was funny enough our next question is who are your inspirations in the industry um i don't know if you would count alex as one of those but um, <laughs> just anyone else that, that's kind of helped you along the way and and kind of helped you mm -hmm. become where you are uh i mean i i've got to start with with vita obviously i think that uh i've learned so much both about being a writer, but, you know, as being a person in a community uh, in uh, with my friendship with Vita, you know, and that's that's huge in 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 all writing. Um, I think that it's it's undervalued sometimes uh, for writers because we talk uh, in prose because we think about it as such like an isolated work. But, you know, I think, you know, you still have editors, you still have, you know, publishing teams, all of that. And I think that the writers 
that do the best in comics in general are those who remember that they're not the only creator on a team. Mm -hmm. Um, And I learned a lot about how to communicate that through Rita, you know, like um, how to, you know, have discussions about how things should be expressed, uh, you know, or butting heads even, or, or just being excited about each other's work, but not, not as if, you know, what the writer says goes, you know, because <laughs> I think that a lot of people accidentally end up doing that. Um, just because, you know, we're, that's kind of something that as writers, uh, that that's the image, the solitary writer who makes their own world. And like, yeah. that's, that's never fully the case, you know, like. Um, well, you mean, you, you hear about these creative teams and you realise when you look at their list of credits, you realise how many moving parts there are and how much goes into producing these things. So. Yeah, and how and how some of the best work comes because of that, you know? Yeah. It's not just that, you know, this, you know, an artist was given a brilliant script and so it was going to be good. It's like, no, because that artist and those letterers and those colorists were all, and those editors were brilliant as well and everyone you know, put their heads together to be cre- create something great. You know, like, mm-hmm. I frequently script a page and then go, but, you know, since you know how shapes work and I'm just doing the <laughs> dialogue, if you want to ignore all of this because you have a better way of approaching it, do it and I will make my dialogue work. <laughs> um, you know, like, as long as as long as the, the, the basic idea is coming through, you know, like, I, I bow to everyone else's expertise because that's how I learn to be a better writer, right? Yeah, uh, so do I don't know if there's ever an issue that I write that I don't learn a little something from the team, um, which you know, like so. There's obviously that. Um, I, I'm like almost like every time I like look at people's work, I'm like I want to learn from this, and like, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of editors earned a lot from. Uh, over time at, at different companies just to just in terms of writing creator owned and writing licensed stuff mm-hmm. and then writing licensed stuff like bond versus licensed stuff like you know blade or champions for example they're all mm-hmm. very different because what you especially l- the first issues of anything like those is uh such a different thing to wrangle because uh expectations uh exposition for new for new readers exposition for readers who read the other stuff but it's been a while so they forgot you know how to yeah, present that's... teams <laughs> i was gonna say that's what we're gonna I could ask you about as well we could have we have that th- we have it into the question list here it's the idea of like how does it work with that create control of of is it kind of wrangling stuff that is licensed property for stuff like marvel say when you were doing like iron heart or uh like other kind of licensed properties versus when you do your creative own stuff is like a very almost distinct boundary between them or is it like they can go back and forth a little bit between how you approach them um i think that more so at uh certain things like the very beginning of a story there are tighter boundaries and things but that's uh more because when you're working with established characters there's different things expected right like i'm sure that if i ever did you know, um, a sequel to a creator-owned work of mine uh, that came back, 
in some ways, at least the first few pages would be almost a little more similar to writing licensed work than, you know, a full story because you're introducing characters in different ways, you know. Mm -hmm. um, the characters on the page mean something different, you know. It, I can have, you know, John Constantine, Kamala Khan, and, uh, you know, Dahir all say or do the same thing in one page, but everyone reads those three pages differently because they mean something different, right? Uh, and that's something you have to deeply keep in mind, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, that was kind of the some of the fun for, like, uh, my DC Pride short, you know, sitting there and being like, this is a character that we're just starting to know, Jess, you know, uh, that, that they are newer to, to the universe, but on the flip side, um, Flash means something, you know? So you're writing a story with a new character, a newer character that... Uh, we don't have as much information about, but on the flip side, we have so much information about because of the legacy, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, but on a certain level, and this is kind of where having, having a resume both in prose and comics helps me, is that I have enough short story prose stuff that when people are looking, like for examples of my writing, I feel like my voice is pretty obvious, you know, like my voice is pretty obvious. The kind of stuff I want to do uh, is pretty obvious. Like if they, you know, bring me on for something like, and I want to pitch something that, you know, has a bit more, you know, social commentary about marginalization. That's not a surprise, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's not like, it's like I, I've given you, I've given you all the clues. Uh, <laughs> and as, um, as as that always, obviously you're saying it's expected, but is it always welcomed? Is it always a conversation that you have before you start writing, or how does it for, work? For me, it for me it has been, um, and that again is in part because when people at like I've done something very specific where, like obviously Queen of Bad Dreams, uh, Quarter Killer, you know, I have those comic pieces that, you know, like it's it's pretty obvious the topics that uh, I want to, you know, speak about. But then also I kind of do a thing that I always make sure to have um, some of my less subtle pro shorts as writing samples. Um, you know, so for example, uh, some of my... Uh, stories like the first short story i ever published like period uh was in uh fire magazine like all black magazine and it's literally about a black exorcist being profiled by a magazine in a world where like demons where like white people have started making packs with demons for possession for power right and so it's the last like it's it's the last profile of uh, the last working exorcist while um, laws being put into place banning ex uh, exorcism, right? Wow, that's, uh, a, that's a really... <laughs> and it's basically so like, and then I have another story that's literally just like a cab ride as this young werewolf is like, shit, it's almost uh, full moon and like I, I, I'm cutting my time real short, um, but it's really about, it's very clearly about like what happens to rich kids who are werewolves versus broke kids who are werewolves right. and like uh as the taxi driver has no clue there's a werewolf in the background so he's just spitting the most awful stuff like he's speaking and you're like that's that's a nightmare this is like the world's worst taxi uh right and like <laughs> one of the things that i was doing very early in my career is when people 
wanted writing samples, I would send those too. Right. Uh, because my logic is if reading those two pieces turned you off of working with me, then I, we probably wouldn't be able to make a good story yeah. together. That's like, you know, know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if you read Last Exorcist and Fair, uh, you know the sort of person you're, you're approaching, right? And going like, okay, this is what they want to do on a structure. That doesn't mean I don't like do fun things. Like when the DC Pride thing comes out, you'll see like it's, it's very lighthearted. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't always um, have to be serious all the time it's just yeah but, it's, but it's just like even then in the you know lightheartedness of it you know like there's there's a lot of me in there <laughs> um i, I think that's really cool though i really appreciate that bonus like just this is me and this is that and if you want to date that's that it's, yeah. that's cool yeah you know and not everyone has the opportunity to do that but i was fortunate again knowing people in the industry already so when i'm coming in i came in with an introduction and being in and like yes it was terrifying you know i definitely spent you know every time someone asked for samples i was on the phone with vita like what do i send it what do i do <laughs> oh gosh uh like like it sounds real cocky about me sending these things but that cockiness came after doing it a bunch of times being like crazy nervous about it right. um Publisher is quite but perceptive then... to to like the idea of like want to spread that kind of message or like underlying themes across and like kind of what like see like I publisher like Marvel or like DC as you said are they quite perspective as like looking at like someone who yourself is a point of view as a person of color and also part of the uh, LGBTQ plus community is it kind of like are they very perceptive into allowing that to be kind of out, out it's a weird one to ask you know because obviously you know oh I, I think it makes perfect sense because I think that. I think that over the decades, there have been horror stories, right? Yeah. And we still hear them today. Um, but I've been really fortunate, like right now, working with uh, Alana Smith on on Champions is like a gift, right? Because there are, you know, you're having these these discussions, you know, uh, and we do it in, in some ways in some really like silly, wacky ways in Champions, right? Um, but obviously... A you know a story in 2021 about social media and superheroes is not you know like there's a point we're getting across right and there were times where we were discussing things and Alana was not only really perceptive to what I wanted to do versus what I was attempting on first drafts uh, which did not always align uh, still don't always align but uh, also what was needed in terms of the overall um, universe and has been really, really helpful in finding how to say what I want to say. Like, there was never a point really where I felt that the point of notes was to don't say that. Mm. It's always how to say it so that it does what you want in this environment, um, you know, and so that was really fortunate, you know, um, and it's still like, like I said, I'm still learning so much, you know, champions being, you know, my longest, uh, you know, like big two kind of project, mm -hmm. um, thus far, especially, you know, solo, um, like solo writing, uh, nothing, none of this is solo because, oh my gosh, Luciano, Luciano tells so much story, um, and I love it. Um, 
I am not naturally a like I'm a sarcasm funny person. I'm not naturally like a goofy funny person. And Luciano's art makes like jokes so much easier and like in a way that I would struggle with a lot more if I didn't if I didn't have him uh helming, especially some of those gorgeous action scenes. Um when you mentioned earlier on about how when you write for certain characters people are going to read them a certain way um when you're writing on these really high profile characters like captain america or Ruby williams does that come with its own set of challenges when you think when you sit down is it quite daunting to think right this is this is a line that steve rogers is going to see or Ruby williams is going to see or is it just a story that danny lore's telling the same as any other one um i think it depends on the character right so for me, the second, um, Alana was also the editor on my King in Black. So the mm -hmm. second I started talking with her, uh, we kind of nailed what we wanted metaphorically and stuff like that. And maybe getting the exact wording was hard for Steve, right. but like <laughs> knowing the thing about a Steve story is it, for me, at least personally, it is always so much uh, as much about what he represents for everyone else in the room yeah. uh, as as for himself. So like that was one of the reasons that I was like, let's do something really internal. You know, like it is very odd to hear all of his internal doubts, but mm -hmm. him balancing like his internal doubts versus what he knows of himself as a symbol, I thought yeah. was a really, really kind of fun. I re really enjoyed the way that you tackled that in the book. I really appreciated that. I thought it was really clever and subtle while still being clear enough what you were trying to do. I thought it was yeah. Yeah, really and and writing Steve like in twenty twenty is also like a very specific thing, right? How would you write a hundred and ten because... year old man? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's also this thing where, you know, especially as someone who is incredibly online all the time, uh, the dehumanization of our heroes in the real world is constantly happening um you know especially you know like as a black person and i watch constantly that you know the second we decide that someone is a hero we stop treating them like a person uh like as like as a society um that the idea that like their internal thoughts don't matter you know uh mm -hmm. that uh the fact that making these choices hurt doesn't matter you know uh the idea that um i think it was greg rucka once said that like he was discussing about how some people had a like struggle to write steve right and it was like the issue is not steve's personality right it's the it's the struggles you put in front of him right like that's that's what makes the story you know he's going to try to do right whether he chooses right is different, right? Yeah. You know, like, so that's a very distinct thing where I wanted to deal with that struggling because I think that that's something we pretend doesn't happen, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and so it was interesting structuring a story to me where he is continuing to do the heroic thing, but what's happening in his head while, it's, while he's doing it. And then having Sam and Bucky there, two of the people who deeply understand... You know, not just as superheroes, but as, you know, as as caps, you know, like, yeah. so they, they, they have, you know, 
Bucky has has you know worn his trauma a bit more on his sleeve than the rest, you know. Yeah. But the three of them know exactly what it feels like to have that shield and have all of those thoughts that they can express, right? Um, so like that was a very specific thing. Um, and then you know with John Constantine with the DC stuff, I'm just like, this is literally my favorite character of all time. So I'm just gonna <laughs> keep going uh until they they make me stop stuff uh like with like his voice is not the problem it's just making sure that like his the way he cons everyone uh is believable i think is always a thing like his issue is going to be like a structural plot thing for me more so than his voice um does that does that change on if like a if a character say is like so quintessentially american as captain america and then changes as you become someone who's more british and they're like kind of writing with like John Constantine or you know even James Bond as well. Who you wrote you wrote uh, written on as well. Is there like a difference between those two? Like, um, write them. So for me, I just accept in my first draft that I'm gonna have to in the second draft and before lettering hits do a bit of Britishization. But I also but that happens with Steve too. It's just a different manner of speaking, you know. Um, that sometimes in that first draft the voice may be off but the point is there um and for me yes i'm gonna struggle with some britishizations but then in my full-fledged obsession with john constantine in college and being a, a live journal rpr i may have spent many <laughs> weeks studying specifically 80s through 90s british slang um to the point that I used to have just full-fledged documents to like study and take apart his words. Um, what were some of the I interesting have... ones you came up with? Like, what were some of the ones that you like really oh, stuck boy. out with you? Do that? Just out of interest, because that that seems like quite a niche oh, subject. Oh, I'd, ha I'd have to go. I'd have to go back to it, but it's just certain modes of speech. Like, I probably pull most of my stuff. I mean, it saddens me that I don't have a space to write truth anymore, like Delano used to. Uh, as a swear because it does not work anymore but I want to desperately use it at some point um, but a lot of times it will be um, my trick for John is to go back to a couple of my favorite runs so if I need if I'm losing his voice I start up um, the laughing magician run from Andy Diggle um, is a big influence on how I write him um, because it is it is a story with a very solid physical plot, but it is a meta story about who John is. Mm -hmm. uh, so I find that uh, really easy to go back into. Um, but like, it's not the voice for John. It's how is the statement sentence he's saying simultaneously helping him right now and will screw him over later. <laughs> like like yeah. with John, it's the, it's the double layer because he will accidentally screw himself over 10 times while saving himself in the moment, right? Like, um, you know, in the same way that, like, Steve is incredibly thoughtful and measured about what he said. John thinks he's incredibly thoughtful about <laughs> what he said. Um, you know, where, you know, Riri is a little bit closer to home, except, like, the science version of my, uh, like you know literary version <laughs> you know uh riri is a bit closer to people i know and what they sound like um what is interesting for me with riri is 
the most fun for Riri is the fact that she's a character who's a superhero, but she, as a writer, I explicitly get to think about her physical boundaries while writing it. Um, yeah. She is a character who she may initiate a hug with someone, but that is a very particular relationship, mm-hmm. you know? But like whether someone's allowed to touch her, allowed to be in her personal space, and navigating those things and navigating the ways in which she's very particular about her space and her sense of of personal safety on an emotional level. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that she's not a, a, a superhero, you know? And so that's, that's a thing that's uh, unique to her, I think, in a lot of ways, because I think that, you know, you look at a Steve or, you know, S- Superman or any of those characters and you see them as the big, you know, like, Oh, when some anyone runs up and hugs them, that's okay, you know. Um, but it's okay for Riri to not be okay with everyone and still be a hero, you know. Yeah. Um, and and I really love that. Um, you know, it kind of flies in the res- in Riri in some of the best ways flies in the face of some of those respectability pro- uh politics that I think we sometimes see. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she doesn't always have to be on. If she's wearing the suit, then she's on, you yeah. know, like she she has she has put on that, you know, open for business sign, you know, <laughs> and she can still be a great, good person when she's not in the suit. But respect her boundaries. Yeah. Um, and I love that, especially as a teenager, writing a teenage girl who is very aware of her boundaries is is nice. Yeah. Do you have a favourite character to write for, or uh, do you like writing for loads of different folk because they've got their different qualities and things like that? Uh, the answer always depends on who I'm writing right now. Um, <laughs> you know, um, like right now I'm having a lot of fun with uh, Sam with Nova in particular. Um I kind of, you know, like, I've read it before, but I was, you know, going back and reading his his backstory and remembering how immediately I wanted to, like, pick him up and protect him (laughs) from, like, his life. Um, And, uh, but, you know, every time I write Kamala trying to cheer someone up or Viv trying to navigate conversation, like, they become my favorite. Um, You know, I have... A couple of favorites right now that you know redacted um hopefully <laughs> i'll be able to share at some point sure. um but then also i'm in this weird place where like we were saying earlier within this past year i have almost checked off my entire bucket list of characters wow. it's really weird it's really yeah it's really weird to have come into comics and immediately be writing all my favorites. Yeah. You know, like, or like, say, Riri, for example, um, who I had gotten into only a short time before, you know, like being approached for it. But like, for me, the Iron Suit was important because, like, Iron Man was my dad's favorite growing up. So getting to write like the young black girl in in the uh, you know like in the iron suit was really yeah. you know a personal uh, a moment uh, for me that meant a lot. Um, also, just anything after you know Eve's run of 
everything is just like now i i both want to play over there and now i'm but i'm also terrified and now i get to do both i was gonna i was gonna <laughs> ask like see when you have certain like events that happen in marvel so such as like, the whole kamala's law thing that happened how does that impact on like writing in like an individual story like do you have to bear that in mind the kind of greater world that exists in the marvel universe when you're writing uh so uh my my run on champions uh is very much about the fallout of outlaws um yeah not like um it it is more or fallout is wrong it is the team going cool this still exists we have to switch up how we're dealing with this um and like that, an that is the purpose of that book it's such an interesting concept, though the idea that I don't know if Dan, if you've if you've uh, read kind of some of the the other stuff that kind of surrounded uh, the whole thing of you can't have an under twenty three, you know, superhero in the Marvel universe currently, which is yeah, incredible. Like which, yeah. yeah, and much like many of the uh, heroes in that universe, uh, the debate between the legal law and the moral laws um, is really prominent. You know, and I think that there is after outlaw a lot of serious and interesting traumas uh both internally and externally that the champions have to deal with you know uh dealing with their personal relationships to each other and their relationships to the world and this law and what happens after that right um so like that is really deeply in it uh the iron heart 2020 was was interesting because technically it was part of the 2020 event but it was also during the start of outlaw so we also we also had the wildness of technically having two events affect how we did that which was really kind of fun um you know uh i am a person who you know i love when you give me free range to do something i'll be like all right but you know that's how you get can I put flamethrowers on Sam's wings? Uh, <laughs> I was like, I don't know if they're going to let me do this. I literally remember sending the email like, I promise you it won't work. <laughs> like, I want to do this and it will fail horribly as a good reason for him never to do it again. Um, but also I love... I love certain restrictions, right? Like, I love cool... You have free range to come up with whatever you want, but these characters or full range, but this law is in place because then I get to decide, cool, how am I going to interact with that? Mm -hmm. Right. That, and, and that's fuel for storytelling, deciding mm -hmm. whether how deeply I want to play with that restriction being noticeable or how much I want to be like, cool, we'll just, you know, it's just off the table. Or do I want to make a story about that? You know, uh, I love stories that are, um, that successfully are about an absence or an emphasis on something, you know? Um, you know, it doesn't always go well because sometimes you're just sitting there waxing, you know, nostalgically on the past. Uh, and that's, that's not a great story, but characters that are deeply affected, you know? And I think that's why, you know, say for example, uh, John Constantine is like one of my favorites because he sits there under the shadow of his own mistakes, <laughs> you know? Uh, pretty heavily um, but also the world you know um, especially these teenagers and the champions in particular there is 
the power fantasy for teen superheroes is different from the power fantasy of adults, right? Like, so with adults, it's, it's the power itself is kind of part of the fantasy. But for teenagers, it's really so much about agency and being able to affect the world around them in a way that a lot of us did not feel like we could as teenagers, you know, that, you know, we felt like we were hitting a brick wall over and over again. And their superpowers are are like a freedom. It is it is a way for them to enact that agency. Um, and so, you know, that law in in of uh, is about inflicting, trying to take away that freedom. But then, these kids also have the agency to react to that. Yeah. To do things, you know, and that's not to say that there aren't teenagers today that aren't doing amazing work but you know a lot of teenagers are are boxed in you know either by their circumstances or by the hellhole that is our brains as teenagers (laughs) or or lack of support from those close to them you know um and so these teens having these superpowers and having each other just is a great experience to write, you know, because it's like, no, they can, they can make a change. Now, will they trip and fall and, you know, make mistakes? Of course, you know, like they would do that if they were adults, let alone teenagers, you know, you know, does their own personal life, you know, get too wrapped up in bigger picture? Of course, but even the space to fail in those ways is sometimes more agency than teenagers are given so i think it's still important yeah definitely um well i think we've kind of took off enough of danny's time i was going to start wrapping up but before we do um i'd like to ask is there anything you're working on currently that you can tell us about or is it all just in the pipeline yet to be all super secret hush hush oh yeah i am very fortunate to have some uh to have some fun redacted stuff that I hope I'll be able to talk about soon. Um, and whenever it does, you'll be like, oh, Danny was 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 real serious about that. Uh, about stuff. <laughs> okay, um, that's exciting. Uh, same, you honestly, know, like, yeah. It's, it's really nice that even the the really hard scripts that I'm working on right now are just, are, are fun, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, that I'm I'm working on projects that even if I get back a note that's going, I don't think this works. At all. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. I now know why it doesn't work. So I'm gonna spend the rest of the day fixing it, and that'll be fun. Um, and that's kind of where I am at right now, and it's it's nice. Uh, and hopefully this will continue. Nice. And do you have anything else that you'd like to plug, Danny? Just. Um, I mean, we, we, can, we can attach a Twitter handle and all that sort of thing if you'd mm-hmm. like. Um, if, if there's anything else that you'd like to point people towards. So, big truth, I am really bad at knowing dates and times and where I am in the world. So I like have to take a minute and be like, what am I working at? What am I doing? <laughs> That's okay. But um, I think April 21st is the first day for Champions. But it cool. is also, I think... Uh, when the physical copy of uh, The Truth and Justice, uh, the John Constantine stuff is collected Ooh. as well. Yeah, nice. so, uh, and it's also my sister's birthday, so it's like a big day for me. <laughs> um, so much so going on. So that's really life. exciting. Um, 
and you will get and uh for the truth and justice there are two covers uh physically because you get the doug braithwaite cover which is beautiful and then you also get the variant by sway which if you have not seen that yet is real good um <laughs> we've got uh both of them uh understand how important it was to have papa midnight real big and pretty on that cover and i respect <laughs> it um but yeah like so that's kind of what's happening and uh i'm very much in the situation where i'm just like look at me on twitter over at uh what is it what is my twitter i've never changed it i don't know why i forgot about it for a second uh where dogs w-e-r-e-d-a-w-g-z um because i have a bunch of stuff happening right now uh and if you're interested in uh in my work as an editor uh right now uh, i've edited the most recent uh online issue of uh fireside magazine it's a speculative fiction magazine and so like once a week uh, a story is dropping right now um and it's just some really uh, a really gorgeous collection of stories we got in for that submission of uh, a nice big range um and you should read the magazine anyway because it's always got dope stories uh, but I'm really proud of the table of contents we're putting together. And there's still, uh, I think about half the stories are still dropping now. Fantastic. That's all super exciting. Um, Danny, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for, for having me. Been looking forward to us for a while, so I'm really glad we got to do it today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, same. Great. And uh, I'd love to do this some more later. Okay. Uh, well, I'll just... What we like to hear. Yeah, I'll just outro us out then. Uh, so uh, you guys have been listening to the BGCP Dissembled podcast. You can find us at the Big Glasgow Comic Page website, uh, which is bigglasgowcomicpage.com, I believe. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter with the same name and handle. Uh, and obviously, if you're listening to this, you can listen to it through Spotify, uh, Anchor, uh, through Podbean, and also on YouTube as well. Uh, so uh, thank you for joining us, and I hope everyone has a great week. Yes. Thank you for listening to Disassembled. You can find more news and reviews on BigGlasgowComicPage.com. And don't forget, you can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube as BGCP Comic Con. Make sure you also subscribe on your podcast provider of choice for new episodes every week. <laughs>